Good morning. Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It's page 1024 in your Bibles. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and, and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covers, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away from, with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if you send someone that goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I will invite any of the young people who would like to join me up front to do so. Hey, Austin and Dakota, it's good to see you guys. How are you? Is that in there? I think I still know that it's Austin and Dakota, right? Wow, I'm doing pretty good. How are you all? It's good to see you. You all um, are here for a Sunday where this is the first Sunday I've had my sling off uh, in about a month. I had shoulder surgery a month ago, and I went to my doctor on Friday. Oh, I have a question for you first, though. Um, especially for Madison and McKenzie, um, do I use metaphors for an with animals too much? Do I talk about animals a lot? I had a crazy dream last night. I woke up in the middle of the night with this stress dream that this whole church was mad at me for using metaphors with animals. <laughs> I see my therapist tomorrow. <laughs> if I talk about metaphors with animals too much, I'm very sorry. I thought you all liked that. I, would, I don't know what that's about. I think that's about eating pizza at 11.30 at night and then going, <laughs> and going to bed. No more fake pepperoni for me. Um, but I, so I went to the doctor on Friday. Um, this is my third check-in. I, I had surgery a month ago, and I, I had it on my shoulder, and I was, a, I was asking him, I said, well, there are three places where my arm hurts, and I want to talk to you about them because they don't seem right. My thumb hurts a lot. And he said, well, that's from having it in the sling for the first couple of weeks after surgery. I, I, I have a sling that's got a special thumb hole. And he's like, that thumb hole probably held your thumb in the wrong place, and that'll go away. I was like, okay. Well, my elbow hurts. And he said, well, that's from the sling, too. 
your elbow has hit the edge of the sling and don't worry about that. And I said, and my forearm hurts. And he said, look. <laughs> he said, you think you had shoulder surgery. We operated on your arm. And so your arm hurts. He said, your thumb hurts. Your forearm hurts. Your elbow hurts. Because I took a camera and a knife, and I went into your arm, and I looked around, and I sewed some things up, and I clipped some things off. And your body doesn't like being invaded like that. We operated on your arm, so now your arm's going to hurt. <laughs> so I'm not seeing that doctor anymore. Because he's not sympathetic like I need him to be. But what I, what I thought about on the way home and then as I thought about what I would say with you all this morning is that I think sometimes we focus on each of ourselves as shoulders or as fingers or toes and not as the scriptures tell us to do and that is to think of ourselves as the body of Christ. And so just like I was kind of weirded out by the fact that it wasn't just my shoulder that was hurting, it was my thumb and my forearm and my, my elbow, my doctor reminded me, well, it's all the body and we operated on your body, and so now your body is adjusting. And I, I, I like to think about that, and as I said this morning in the welcome and announcements, I think, you know, we've all, all of us have got things we worry about. I hope you all have a little less than adults. I hope you enjoy a childhood where you worry a little less, because adulthood can get pretty troubling, and I, I know being young adults isn't that easy either, but I just want to remind myself in front of you all, and maybe it's useful for you all to hear as well, that we are all part of the same body. And when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And when one part of the body has joy, we all have joy. And when we're in this church together looking at each other, we are connected in a special way. And when we leave here and go out into the world to live our lives and hopefully be generous and compassionate people, we are still connected because we are all still part of the same body. Will you say a prayer with me? Gracious God, thank you so much for the young people that are with us this morning. I am so grateful for their energy and their thoughtfulness and their creativity. Thank you for blessing our lives and our church with their presence. Help us live up to their joyfulness, to their openness. Help us to be partners with them in creating a world that is good for them, just as we are partners with you in creating a world that is good for all. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you wish, you can open your uh, Bibles to our text for this morning. And um, I was happy that we uh, gave Lydia the right text this morning. <laughs> but you did so well on the one last week, even. So, uh, chapter 16 of the Gospel of Luke. Um, we uh, get a little bit confused uh, between all the gospel stories, and we tend to think of them as one story, and we even have a, a, a word for it. Um, uh, we, call, we call them the synoptic gospels, and uh, synoptic means seeing at the same time or seeing the same thing together, synoptic, and it's usually Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and uh, John is not invited to that club, uh, because he is so different in his writing. Uh, we have the impression that the first three Gospels are relatively interchangeable. Uh, but when we study these stories in these Gospels, we realize that they're very different. Uh, they use different materials, 
and even the materials that they use uh, that are in another gospel, they use those materials quite differently. Um, and so uh, the more we study the gospels, the more we realize they have their own character. You know, they have their own uh, point of view and they are doing pretty much what they, what they want to do with their gospel. And uh, for example, uh, the Gospel of Mark was probably the first gospel written and uh, those who, who came after Mark thought that Mark didn't do a very good job of uh, writing the gospel story. There wasn't enough hope in it uh, because where the Gospel of Mark really ends, it ends on the word afraid. And so there's no resurrected Jesus. All they get is an empty tomb and then the curtains close. Uh, and so that's why later on the story, uh, a lot of um, biblical writers added the last, uh, the last story in Mark. So it extends itself a little farther than how Mark wrote it. Um, and then uh, we have this, what they call the source material. Uh, Jesus died, he was not a writer. Uh, he didn't write any books or scrolls or anything like that. Uh, he probably spoke the common language of the day, yeah, probably Aramaic, and uh, probably knew Greek as well. Um, and so there began then to float around all of these stories about Jesus, you know, after he died. Um, they thought that Jesus was going to come back, so why bother uh, to write these things down? You know, because they thought they were going to be the last generation, so to speak, because Jesus implied uh, that he would come back before they were dead. But <laughs> here we are 2,000 years later, and we've kind of accepted that. But you have to understand the first Christians had a hard time understanding and accepting the fact that Jesus was not coming back when they expected. And the, a lot of the New Testament is a result of those early Christians struggling with this fact that Jesus did not come back in the way they thought he would. So uh, there began to circulate stories about Jesus, parables, things that he said, experiences. And so they, they, they call that, that document the source document. And uh, they call it Quella in German. So uh, they just call it the Q document, the source document. And um, Mark, uh, all three of the synoptic gospels used some of the material from the source material from Q. Um, and so they fashioned their stories in such a way that they tried to present Jesus as the Christ in the way that they saw it. Um, now one thing that's interesting about uh, Luke is that Luke talks about money a lot. The other Gospels don't talk about it so much, but Luke talks a lot about money. In fact, it's probably his main theme uh, in, in, his, in his story. And uh, so here in chapter 16, uh, we have a good example of the, the, the writer of the Gospel of Luke um, and trying to think about, well, okay, if we have to live in the world, if Jesus is not going to come back, but we're going to follow him and we're going to stay with this community that has kind of uh, centered itself on, on Jesus, you know, how do we live in the world? That was a big question. How do we live in the world now? And so uh, one of the big issues, uh, as it always is, is money. 
And uh, they had the same problems back then as they do now, that you know, the money was not evenly distributed. There were a lot of poor people and a handful of rich people, and you know, we all know that story. And, um, and, and if I could put my finger on, on you know, one of the main problems in our society, it would be money. And it's still, still a very important uh, issue. Uh, Luke doesn't say money is good or bad. Um, but he's very careful in trying to give examples of a good way of relating to money and maybe a not so good way, a cautionary story about how not to use money. Uh, now in this chapter 16, we have two parables really. Um, Lydia read uh, the second one, which uh, was the, the one about Abraham and Lazarus and the next life. Um, but the earlier one um, is about this <laughs> And, and this should bother us as Christians. You know, he, he's the dishonest steward. Um, you know, his, his, the owner of the estate was gone, and he was the, the director of the estate. He was the person in charge. And uh, he wasn't so good at it. You know, he would not pay the bills on time, and, you know, he failed to do this and that. And, and word got back to the owner uh, that he was coming back to his property to fire this steward, this caretaker. Um, and so uh, the caretaker was a little frantic about it uh, because what's he gonna do if he gets fired? You know, he's not gonna get uh, you know, any money from the state or anything like that, no welfare or, or... So he concocted this plan of uh, sort of insinuating his good heart into people uh, who he might have to rely on after he gets fired. So he goes to one guy and says, well, how, mu you know, how much does, does the owner owe, owe? How much do you owe the owner? And they would say, well, uh, you know, I owe 100, uh, 100 barrels of oil. Well, you know, write down 80. And we'll settle for 80. And so he goes through this, you know, this, this kind of giving these little bit of, 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 I don't want to say pushback, but a little bit incentive uh, to these people. And his generosity, of course, this is not his money, even though he's responsible for it. And from our eyes, it looks like he's still being pretty dishonest. Um, and so uh, the, the owner came back, and he saw what happened. And uh, he said, yeah, you've been very, very shrewd, but you're fired anyway. Uh, and that's where the story ends. <laughs> we don't know what happened to him. And, and so is Jesus' explanation about this parable that is, is, is important because the parable sets that explanation up. And the recommendation there is that since we live in this world, we have to be shrewd about the way that we use money and wealth. We have to be smart about it. Even if... <laughs> This is where a lot of people kind of gag on it, even if you have to do it dishonestly. I'm not sure I accept that uh, from the text or even any words from Jesus, uh, but it is supposed to be a story uh, that's, that is laid right next to the story that Lydia uh, just uh, read. And uh, both are related to money. Uh, and, and oddly, this, this dishonest service servant is is saying well you know we live in the real world and you know you got to kind of live as if you're in the real world shrewdness 
We've, we've, we've heard that word shrewd uh, in the Bible study where shrewdness is kind of the way that the empire works. It's the way rich people work. work. You know, there's a certain sensibility about how can I protect what's mine? And you have to be shrewd about your investments and the way that you use money. Well, so there is that concession to shrewdness uh, on the part of the first parable. And then in this second parable, um, Jesus is trying to become very clear to these people by putting both of these stories uh, before them that uh, uh, wealth is neither good nor bad. It's how you use it and manage it. And, you know, people have the mistake, they mistake the quote by saying, you know, money is the root of all evil. Um, but they forget the first part that says the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, so money's not the problem, it's the way that we use it. And so here we have another story. And uh, just because it takes place in the hereafter doesn't mean that this text is about the hereafter. Uh, this text is about the consequences of using your uh, money unwisely. And of course, Abraham, um, is that the guy's name? Abraham. So, <laughs> I like to um, kind of remind our Bible study uh, folks uh, that we don't start asking questions of the text until we understand how it works. And so we need to know who is doing what in the text. And we have to understand that some of these stories are written in such a way that you could not make it a better story. It is so well written. And that's the case with uh, Lazarus, uh, that he is so poor and you know his whole surroundings, the way he's described in this story you know, I'll, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you can improve on that description of the kind of, it, he is so bad. Uh, he is in such dire straits that you can't think of anything worse than what he's in. And uh, it has him uh, near um, the rich man. Um, and the rich man, of course, he's described as a pretty typical, stereotypical, you know, sort of bad, good, bad rich guy. Um, he thinks he has earned everything. He thinks he deserves everything that he has. And, uh, and there are parts of the Bible that, that describe, that actually support that. Uh, there are places in Deuteronomy, for example, and other places that you were encouraged to do the right thing because if we do the right thing, we'll be blessed by God. And so having things means that God is blessing you. And not having things means that God is cursing you. So that's why we have this stark difference between the rich man and Lazarus, is you can't get anything that is in such, so much of a contrast as these two stories. And so here we have, you know, they live their lives, they do their thing, uh, and then they die, and uh, one goes to the hot place. Uh, and the other one uh, goes into the bosom of Abraham. Uh, where, actually, that's where the, uh, that, that hymn is, comes from. The bosom of Abraham is kind of circuitous way of saying we don't really know what happens after our bodies die. And this is not about uh, heaven or hell. It's about the consequences of our lives. 
And we get that at funerals. You know, somebody uh, has died and, you know, people say things about that person. And they realize that that person either lived a good life or a bad life or somewhere in the middle. Uh, but when it comes to the end, uh, the important things are obvious. Money's not one of them. Having relationships, good relationships with your family, uh, having uh, friends that are really important to you and you to them, and then trying really hard to do the right thing and to embody justice and mercy in your own life. Um, so we have this extreme setting here now, and this is the great reversal. And that is essentially uh, what the gospel is all about. And we get this great reversal in so many places that we, we, we get so used to it, we don't see it anymore. Um, you know, part of Mary's song, for example, after Jesus is born, um, uh, is one of those great reversals. You know, the poor shall be exalted and the rich shall be brought down low, that kind of idea. Uh, now, this is bothering uh, some of the Pharisees who are there because they think they are being really uh, correct about their own Bibles, you know, meaning that, you know, we're the good guys, we keep the laws, and, you know, we're obviously doing well, therefore God is blessing us. And uh, Lazarus is, is, is obviously poor, and God is obviously not blessing him. In fact, if you help the poor person, uh, you're going to feel the wrath of God because you're going against God's decision to not bless this person. So, you know how it all works in our human minds. We all get uh, susceptible to these things. Um, and notice in the story, uh, the contrast is uh, that the rich man is now uh, in a very poor place, and uh, the poor man, Lazarus, is in a very good place. And Abraham is thirsty. He pleads uh, that Lazarus would bring him even a drop of water uh, bring him something to drink because he is so thirsty. But you notice that the rich man is doing the same thing to Lazarus that he has been doing all along. And that is expecting Lazarus to do something for him as a slave. So uh, the rich man just doesn't get it. You know, even at the end of things, he doesn't get it. And it's, it's worse than that too because uh, he, he comes to God and says, you know, you know let my brothers know uh, that, that these are consequences about how we live our lives. Please, you know, go back and tell people. And, and of course, the, the voice of God says, well, you know, they have enough to go by. They have their own scriptures and they have everything they need to understand how it all works. So, No. I'm not going to send anybody to warn your brothers because they're not going to get it any better than you did. So when it comes to the end of the uh, chapter, oh, and you might have noticed in, in, this, in this chapter, there's a little, almost a throwaway verse about, about uh, divorce um, and committing adultery and that kind of stuff. And I know it's verses like this that people come down on divorced people. But what this is, is, is put in this section talking about money and wealth. And of course, women back then uh, were property. Um, and so the text becomes very critical about the mindset. And it's a religious mindset that 
God is blessing me because I'm rich. And because I'm rich is a sign that God is blessing me. And, of course, they rationalize it in their own mind. If they want to divorce their wife, they, just, they left a note on the table. That's all they had to do. And the woman had, would have to leave and go back and live with the family and humility and, uh, and all of that. So as part of that you know, rich person's mindset, and we still have the gospel of wealth. It's alive and well today. We've got whole big churches built on the idea that if you get right with God, everything that you want in your life, you're going to get blessed. And they're so crass about it that they, they tell these people that if you just trusted God enough and gave your life over to God, that he would get you a nice house and a nice car. Everything that you would want. Well, that was part of the, uh, the big recession back in um, uh, 2008. Uh, and, and it wasn't just uh, black people, it was poor people generally who heard this, this gospel of wealth. And so they would step out on faith uh, and they were enabled by a banking system that was completely corrupt. And so they began to give these people loans that they could never pay back. And the banks knew it. And yet they took advantage of these people. And the preachers who preach the gospel of wealth should be held accountable uh, for these people losing everything that they've ever had. They lose that house. They lose that car that was never theirs anyway. And it has nothing to do with God blessing you. So what's going on here in this text and uh, these two being held is Jesus is trying to teach them how to read their scriptures. It's as simple as that. Every Tuesday morning at 9.15 we gather over there in you know, church office and our main goal is to learn how to read the Bible. Because the Bible says a lot of stuff. And you could support any claim by proof texting it. But to know the Bible actually is to know how God blesses. And to know how to read the Bible, you know how to live a life that is effective and a, a Christ-centered life. And so Jesus is talking to these Pharisees and religious people generally like them. That you guys think you're being blessed by God, but it doesn't work that way. You need to read your Bibles better. You need to read them better. Because they have their texts. They know what their religion is all about. It's working for them. Every time I see a, a TV preacher, my... Uh, my blood pressure goes up about 30 points. And, they, and they, they take advantage of older people who, who send in money uh, when they have a very limited income. They're on Social Security. And there was this one TV guy uh, that they did a little investigation. And, in, and all the letters he got asking for prayers, uh, people found them in the dumpster in the back. Of course, all the money and the checks and everything had been taken out, but all of that stuff was just thrown away. It's so cynical. And I think these uh, Pharisees are uh, uh, as, as cynical as it's possible to be without even knowing that they're being cynical. 
So Jesus' message is that if you really want to understand how the kingdom of God works, where it is, and how we fit in, we have to be very astute and, and, and shrewd about working in the world and especially working with our wealth. Having money is not a bad thing. How you use it is the issue. That's the big issue. How do you use it? So what does it mean to be a good Christian? Somebody who understands the Bible, all of it. Somebody who understands what it looks like uh, to see justice in the world, uh, to not even uh, accept a world where there is somebody like Lazarus. So we are meant to understand our Bibles better than we really do. I'm not saying you don't understand your Bibles. What I'm saying is we have to be clear about what we base our, our values on in order to project those outward, to be a community of Christ and project uh, those values outward. So we are people of trust. And uh, Jesus was in a world as we are where, uh, you know, victory through, uh, I mean, uh, peace through victory, uh, is the main phrase of the culture, uh, and Jesus gives us peace through justice. That's the main difference, peace through justice. I was going to say something very sarcastic about becoming 65, <laughs> but I forgot what it was. God bless you all in your, in your walk uh, with the scriptures and with God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, you come to us again and again urging us to act with compassion. You give us the great powers of conscience and reason. You cause us to know love for one another, and you plead with us in each moment to recognize the interconnectedness of our world and to act creatively in the interest of the common good. We confess that many times we fail to respond to your call. We choose comfort and familiarity over the wild and wonderful places into which you call us. We choose to live in small ways, even in the face of your pleas that we live and act in the vast compassion of your love. God, who is always good, help us to love the world as you do and as Jesus taught. Help us to know that we are both rich and poor, boss and worker, powerful insider and helpless outsider. As we see each of those identities in ourselves, may we also experience with open minds and brave souls your urgent call to love all people, to focus on the quality of life right now for all of creation rather than whatever follows this life dedicated to being a light to the world,
hope in this time, sharing your goodness in this life. We pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.